0: His way is always right. Jesus at the center of it all. I appreciate those lyrics. You realize that it's a prayer. Jesus at the center of it all. My church, my life, all of it. Before I forget to mention it, it's worthy of mentioning. If you, Most people from young to old know how to use YouTube. So if you would, when you get a chance, go um, to YouTube to Times Square Church this morning and listen to Pastor Carter Conlon preach heaven down at Times Square Church. It'll be worth your while. And you will recognize the message. It blows my mind. So do that. Go watch. I think the um, title of the message was uh, The Miracles of Sodom. Or, or, or If Sodom Had Miracles, I think is the, is the name of it. Pastor Carter Conlon, Times Square Church. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, wow. <laughs> We're going to turn, first of all to James chapter four. You say, "Well, that's Wednesday night. Well, tonight it's Sunday night." It was intended for Sunday morning. But let's turn to James chapter four. And let's just read one verse, James chapter four. The last verse of James. Chapter four James, Chapter four, verse seventeen. Says, Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. One more time, James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. That's quite a statement. In fact, it's a mouthful. To them, that, Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. See, we tend to think of sin as things that we do that we shouldn't have. Sins of commission. But James is saying something very different here. To him that knows to do and does it not to him it is sin keep that thought in the back of your mind we're going to turn over to proverbs chapter 29 verse 25 Proverbs chapter 29 verse 25 says the fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man brings a snare. But whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of man brings a snare. But whosoever whosoever puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. In Psalm chapter 27, verse 13 says, I I would have fainted. I had fainted unless I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Be an interesting subject perhaps to you tonight. Maybe not. But I'm going to submit. Therefore to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Now that's an interesting verse to me. It reminds me of, of... Another verse from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 that nearly everybody in the room perhaps could quote. It says, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. But he had something else to say. And turn from their wicked ways. Now, he's not talking about the Ammonites and the Amalekites and the Mosquito bites. He's talking about his people. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then. Will I hear from heaven? I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. He's talking to his own. Now I, I want to talk about an important subject that's coming up for the next few, and that's coming up in the next few weeks. First Tuesday in November. There's something called a midterm election. And it matters. It matters. Three people just left live stream because I said in November, first Tuesday in November, there will be a midterm election. And it matters. It matters. It matters. I'm going to submit to you that it's time for the church to turn from their wicked ways. I'll explain in just a moment. My people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Four things humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. He said, Then I will hear from heaven. Did you hear the condition? There's an if, and there's a then. How clear could it possibly be? If my people. Now look at the then. Then I will hear from heaven. Now there's some indication there if you don't do those four things that he doesn't hear. I don't think, I, I, I think I'm hermeneutically correct in that assessment. I think I'm apologetically correct in that assessment. It says, then I will hear from heaven. The first step to get anything worthwhile done is for God to hear from heaven. He says, then I will forgive their sin. There's some of us that don't know that God's people can have sin. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal sin. Their land. I will submit to you tonight that therefore that they that know to do good and know it not to them, it is sin. I will tell you it is high time that the American church turns from their wicked ways. We've been driven into a corner by the fear of men. We have bought a lie of the drumbeat of a secular society that has beat us into the corner and caused us to even buy into the lie that we had no place in the public square. To them who knows to do good and who does it not, to them... It is sin. I will submit to you that for the last 50, 60 years that the American church by and large has lived in a state of doing it not. We have to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face. But we have to turn from our wicked ways. For those who online even tonight, for those in the house even tonight, those who watch your preacher and say to you, I don't like him, he's too political. I say get in your Bible and find out that it's in him I live and I move and I have my being. Amen. Get into your word and find out that, it te- that Mark tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You and me, not just the preacher. It doesn't tell you to go home and say that was a good sermon. Because most of you are not going to go to Brazil. You're not going to go to Africa. You're not, some of you are have barely crossed the Louisiana line, so you think that you have nowhere to go and you have no responsibility. But i got news for you. Your world is wherever you're at. And you have a responsibility to take the gospel wherever you go. I think we've made excuses that we don't get involved in these things because we're just here to preach the gospel. Well, first of all, are you? And second of all, the gospel says, the gospel is the good news. We have copped out and we have paid the price for our silence. I got a few questions for you that I want you to ponder in this room and later. What if William Wilberforce never said a word about the transatlantic slave trade? What if this Christian, this minister, this protege of John Newton had have said nothing. That was an awfully political subject. It was a very lucrative subject. It was an evil subject that we still bear the scars of today. And it ended because one man had the courage to begin to lead the fight from the parliaments of Europe to say it is wrong and it has got to stop. And he did it in the name of Jesus. I've got a question. What if the Church of Germany in the 30s, rather than acquiescing to the Nazi machine, and been so closely associated with the state that it took the benefits of silence rather than the power of the pulpit. Has history judged the Church of Germany well that, while, that they were singing louder so they couldn't hear the freight trains going by full of the screams of, of millions of Jews? I ask you. Are we really supposed to be quiet in the public arena? Are we really? When the church is silent, the world spirals out of control. When the pulpit is quiet on the matters of policy and politics, our children are affected. To him, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. It is sin, church. It's not only our responsibility, and when we don't, it is sin. We sat on our hands when Lyndon Johnson strapped the church with the Johnson Amendment. Nothing was said, nothing. We barely made a whimper when Madeleine Murray O'Hare stripped the nation of the right to pray publicly in school, I get so tired of hearing lily-livered, backboneless, spineless Christians say, "You can't take prayer out of because 'cause we're there." Well, you—everywhere I go, I, the, the spirit of God goes with me, but I don't hear any of you standing up and preaching. I don't hear any of you witnessing in the school. I don't hear any of you. I, yeah, I know you can pray over your math test and that there's not anything you can do about it, but there's a public, supposed to be a public declaration of the gospel everywhere you go. And you are copping out and you are lying to yourself when you say that, that, that it had no effect on the nation. The largest problem that the United States schools had up until that point was talking out of turn and chewing gum in the hallways. Go read it, it's true. Today our schools are a war zone. Disrespect is that doesn't even begin to speak to the problems. Students will cuss a teacher to their face and with the most vulgar, in the most vulgar terms that you have ever heard. Right here in Orange County. But we said not a word. The wholesale slaughter of innocent life that carried on for 50 years. When the the Supreme Court of the United States created out of whole cloth an invisible right that changed all of society, the church kept voting for the people that have accommodated it. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked Waves. then while I hear from heaven forgive their sins and heal their land we've sat on our hands we've bought the lie we've kept silent while they've tried to convince us to follow the science on the subjects that they have no science on All the while, the same people telling you to follow the science is denying biology, which is a science. All of the the mammalian animal kingdom is created male and female. All of them, not just humans, all of them. God created them that way, according to Genesis. God created he, them, male and female. And now we have a confused generation, our kids, our kids, who are willing to entertain the thought that there might be something else. Could it be Is it even possible that they're looking to us now for what's true? It will require you to be political, let me tell you. Because the spiritual condition has been brought on by the, by the political oppression. Do you, think, do you still think you're free? Can I ask you a question? Do you still think you're free? Now we still have a lot of freedoms that I thank God for, but do you think you're free? Because I can tell you where freedom comes from. It comes from the Spirit of the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom you got pastors that are free in a Chinese jail for the last 20 years because they took the freedom, the liberty, and the Holy Ghost to reach people for the kingdom of God. See, we're afraid. But see, we're not afraid of going to jail. We're afraid that somebody will block us on Facebook. And that somebody will call us a name. And that somebody will call us racist. And somebody will call us some kind of phobic. Could it be... That we've set out our hands and we are reaping the high cost of doing absolutely nothing? Could it be? We have no choice but to stand up. I'll submit to you that it is entirely scriptural to stand up. I will submit to you that it's not only preferable, that it is commanded to stand up. How do you go out into the world and preach the gospel, yet keep it private and in your own home? Answer me that. Well, what did Jesus have to say about that? What what did he have to say about that? I believe the Pharisees came one day and said that the leaders are saying this, uh, Herod is, is, is going to try to kill you. And Jesus said, Go tell that fox that I will be going about healing and doing miracles. But, on the, but I am going to lay my life down. Go tell him. Come on, somebody. Peter and John immediately following the day of Pentecost are immediately accosted by the religious leadership and the governing powers of, of, of Israel. And commanded no longer to preach in his name, no longer to do miracles in his name. And he says, and they said, Whether it be right before men, I don't know. He said, But I'm going to preach in this name. You can't stop me. That's in Acts chapter 4. Let's look at it. It says, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Who is the them? <laughs> the them is is. The religious leaders of their day. The political leaders of their day. And, and it's the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander. Uh, that's in verse 6. The, and the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they set them in the midst, they asked, By what power and by what name have you done this? And says, And Peter, being full of the Holy Ghost, said to them, You rulers of the people and elders of the of israel that sounds to me like they stepped into the political arena and they brought them in again just a few verses later in verse 19 it said said, in verse 18 it said and they the leaders called and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of jesus that is what the society is trying to tell the church right now and have told us for years Have your little freedom of religion. Have your little Jesus. Have your little church. But keep it in the church house and keep it in your house. Keep it out of the street. It says, and they, the leaders, called them the apostles and commanded them not to speak at all nor to teach in the name of Jesus. It says, but, y'all know I love conjunctions. Peter and John answered. But Peter and John answered. That's better than you're reacting to. They didn't say, well, why didn't you say so? Excuse us. We'll go back home and and preach to each other. But Peter and John answered and said to them, the religious leaders and the political leaders of their day, whether it be right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God judge you, but we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and we have heard. Now, I don't read Hebrew, but I think they said, Pfft, we're going to do it anyway. Could it be? Is it even possible that this generation that we malign and that we don't understand? And then we criticize. Could it be that we led them to this point? And could it be that they're now looking to us? Could it be? Therefore to them that know to do good and to do it not, to them it is sin. Fear of man brings a snare. But he who puts his trust in the Lord... Will be safe. They came after Paul in Acts chapter twenty-six, and you'll remember that he's appealed to Rome if they drugged him before Agrippa, and when they got him there, the first, they asked Paul, "What are you doing?" And he began to share immediately. He said, "Agrippa, <laughs> now if this had been me and you." We'd probably have, wouldn't even be able to see through our swollen slits in our eyes because we had cried for three days locked in jail. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You're permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered, him where in the world are you at and paul stretched forth his hand and answered him he said i think myself happy king agrippa because I shall answer for myself this day before you, touching all the things wherefore I am accused of by the Jews. Come on, somebody. I'm going to read it again just because I like it. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak For yourself. And then Paul stretched forth his hand. Paul had an attitude. Paul's like me. How else can you read that? It says that Paul stretched forth his hand. He said, Agrippa, I think myself happy before you. And I come to answer you. According to everything that the Jews have brought against me. He didn't shrink. He didn't waver. He didn't cower. He didn't say this is too political. He said, I am going to answer you. He said in verse 8, why should it be thought a thing incredible to you that God should raise the dead? Oh, he went straight to just radical. He told him, he said, I was persecuting this Jesus. And then somewhere on a road, in verse 14, it says, And they were fallen to the earth, and I heard a voice speaking to me and said in a Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for you to kick against the brick. And I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. He didn't bring a religious notion to Agrippa. He didn't bring a generic religion to Agrippa. He brought Jesus to Agrippa. I am Jesus whom you persecute. And it says in verse 20, but showed them first to Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout the coast of Judea and then to Gentiles that they should repent. I'm just, read, go home and read it all. Verse chapter 26. Paul said, I, found, I met Jesus. And when I met Jesus, I began to declare that you need to repent and turn to God and do the works to meet for repentance. And he told them about that Christ should suffer and that be, and it should be the first and the, to, should raise from the dead and show how light to the people and to the Gentiles. In verse 24, it says, and as he thus spoke for himself. They keep saying that. Paul spoke for himself. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Just in case... You thought that you were the only one that when you told about Jesus, they said, you are crazy. He is standing before the rulers of his day and he should be shaking in his boots, but instead he stretches forth his hand and declares that I think myself happy and I will answer you today in my own words and I will tell you the story of Jesus Christ and what brought me here. And, and the ruler said, Paul, you are nuts. Uh-huh. Festus said in verse 24, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has made you mad. But he said, I'm not mad. I'm not. Now, people don't know King James word. It wasn't talking about he was angry. They, he, say, he said, Much learning has made you crazy. Yeah. Wacko. Fruity. Nuts. He said, I'm not nuts. But he said, Paul, the he is Paul. He said, to the, he said, I'm not mad, most noble, Festus. Now, I don't know, but when I read that, I told you I read with vigor, I read with imagination, and I probably read with a little me. And I think there might have been a little sarcasm right there. Maybe just a little drip. He said, But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knows these things before whom I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For for this thing was not done in a corner. I got to tell you, tell you church, this thing of Christianity, this thing of the cross, this thing of the, re- of the tomb, this thing of the resurrection, this thing of the gospel was not done in a corner. It was not done in a corner. It was not done in a corner. And King Agrippa Oh, he called him my name again. King Agrippa, believe you the prophets? Question mark. (laughs) I know that you believe. Hmm. Now where did that knowing come from? I believe there was a there was a, a manifestation of the gift of the, of a spirit in a word of knowledge that said, "You heard me, and you know what I'm talking about, and you know that it's true." Believe you the prophets, Agrippa. I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, probably the the most chilling sentence in the word of God. Agrippa said to Paul, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God. See, now... That would have silenced a lot of us. That would have been the end of the conversation. Hello? And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and all together such as I am accept these bonds. King that I stand before, noble Festus, and all this court that have heard what I have just presented to you, I would that all of you would hear me this day. We're both almost and all together, such as I, accept these bonds. And when they were gone aside, they talked amongst, between themselves, saying, this man's done nothing worthy of the bonds. And then said Agrippa to Festus, this man ought to be set at liberty if he had not appealed to Caesar. Church, we have an obligation to the world to speak against what is wrong, even in the political arena. Whatever, can I ask you a question? What in the world does that mean? What does it mean? We're not supposed. The church is the pulpit. Is supposed to be quiet on politics. I read. Uh, Preacher that I'm pretty good friends with the other day, and said that a guy that wrote wrote a fantastic book on the subject said I really liked him until he began to get too political. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean, church? It's in him that I live and I move. And I have my being. He's not my Jesus on Sunday morning and something else on Monday. He's not my Jesus whenever I pray, but not whenever I do business. He's not Jesus in the church house, but I can be crooked at my job. He's everything to me. Every day, all the time, everywhere I go. He dictates who I am. Because You say, that doesn't sound right. I am with Paul, that I am happy to be called a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might have to pay a price. He never told you that you would not. In fact, he told you that you would. But he said if you believe him, that you know that in all situations he's still a good God. Do you believe him? How many more generations are we willing to sacrifice at the altar of political expediency? How many more generations are we, how many more moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas are going to have crying in the office because they don't understand how their children got to this point? Well, they, they got to this point because you were casual about Jesus. Now I want to say something there because there's some of us that have had trouble with children that were not casual. But you've got to understand, if you raise them right in the fear and the admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ, that everybody, when they come to a certain age, stands before God and gives an account on their own. They have a choice to make. They either choose Him or reject Him. That's not on you. That is on them. Somebody hear me, you have grieved over where you went wrong, but you've done it right. And you've got to understand that every one of us come to God as an individual. It it is it is up to us whether we accept Him or we reject Him. But far too many, the case really is, is that church was at their convenience. And the Word of God was a suggestion. And prayer was a foreign thought. And that any standard was met with a cry of legalism. Any, any 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 place that says that there is a right and there is a wrong was met with the opposition of "you're too hard" and that you and that you need to chill out and that you need to calm down. And I want to tell you, there is a right and there is a wrong. This book has standards. It tells you how to live, and it it it, it never adds any. It said it, it will never add sorrow to your life. It is not a fit. It is a guardrail. It will save you from yourself. Hear me, church. I believe with all of my being that we stand at the same, much the same crossroads today in America as that the Lutheran church stood in the early 30s in the lead up to Adolf Hitler. Where the church chose popularity and acceptability and silence for protection And ambiguity to stay out of the limelight, to stay out of the way of the regime. Right. And millions of people, not just the Jews, not just the seven million Jews, millions of people all over the world at the hand of the Nazi re- machine that started World War II, millions of people paid with their life because the church was silent. Therefore, to him that knows to do good, and does it not, to him, it is sin. We all know that there's coming a point because the end of the book has been written that the line of demarcation will be crossed and God's end time events of eschatology will play out to the letter. I don't know when and you don't know when. We all know it can't be long because it can't carry on this way. We all know that everything that the Word says would happen is happening. See, some of those things that happening have happened before, but never all of them at the same time. I don't know when, but I do know this. The Bible tells the, the people of God that we are to occupy until He comes. We're going to preach what's true and stand for what is right up until the moment that he calls me home by the grave or by the trump of God. It's not an option. And we have responsibilities. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. Attributed words to the great theologian, and I will say prophet and martyr, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who done everything in his power to scream from the rooftop, including the final Reformation Sunday of a free Germany, where he, where he declared at the top of his lungs to all of his contemporaries in the ministry. What was going to happen if the church didn't rise up and stand for what is right? Immediately upon the election of the Fuhrer, the leader, Adolf Hitler, he took to the airwaves immediately. And within the context of his very first speech, And sermon to the nation under this new regime, the first few days, within minutes, the airwaves were shut down. And his voice was silenced. And still, his contemporaries, his colleagues, could not see that he was right. Only 3,000 of the 18,000 that he had a relationship with even tried. And the world paid the price. I'll ask you again I'll ask you again. Is it possible that they're looking to us? Have you even considered that in all of their smart aleck attitude, in all of their tuning you out, and in all of their rebellion, that somewhere in all of it That they're looking to us is it possible and are we willing to live with the high cost of doing nothing I for one am not willing to live with that cost I know not everyone will hear my voice and not everyone will hear yours. But everyone that can hear my voice will hear my voice. I know that some will say, I'm almost persuaded but will walk away. But some will hear you. Some will hear you. Some of your family will hear you. Some of your kids, some of your grandchildren will hear you but they will never hear what you didn't say Amen. on one hand but then on the other hand some of the loudest things we speak is what we refuse to say sometimes silence oftentimes silence is taken as permission The trumpet is supposed to give a clarion call. The Bible says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. The Bible says that that if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, how will they respond? How will they come to the battle? Our voice has to be clear. And the time is now. Do not grow complacent in the fervor that has suddenly hit this church to pray. That will change. It has changed everything. Do not think you've arrived. We must continue to pray without ceasing. We must. Lives literally depend on it. And a move of God is absolutely fueled by prayer. It is the fuel that drives the engine of revival. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. We're not supposed to be silent. I can't find it anywhere in this book where God's people are to be silent. Father, I thank you tonight for your word, for your spirit, for your power, for your anointing, for your boldness. Lord, I ask that you use tonight for your glory. Lord, that it is a clarion call to stand up for you and what is true and for the things of God in a desperate, time and in a desperate hour and we thank you for it in jesus name amen